James chapter 1, go to James chapter 1. When you get there, say, I'm there, pastor. I'm there, pastor. James chapter 1. So we have been going through this exciting series on um, uh, and it's this exciting series entitled The Crown. And uh, so last week we talked about the crown of crown of rejoicing. Yes, thank, I'm glad someone was paying attention. Last week we talked about, oh my goodness, last week we talked about the crown of rejoicing. And um, this week we are going to be talking about the crown. Do you guys like crowns? Does, does anyone like, no, no one likes crowns? It's, it's not like a thing, prom, everyone wears a crown. You know, you're, proun- you're crowned to the homecoming queen and the homecoming king, the crown. I got another crown here as well. This is a this is a, a full crown. This goes all the way around, but someone would have to have a really small head for this one. So thank you to Julie for giving me these crowns. But we've been we've been talking through this series entitled The Crown. And last week we talked about the crown of rejoicing. And um, today we're going to talk about the crown of life. The crown of life. And to lay a little bit of a foundation for you, if you weren't here last week, um, I kind of want to lay three things down before we talk about the crown of life. So last week we talked about the crown of rejoicing. Today we're talking about the crown of life. Before we talk about the crown of life, I want to lay a couple of foundational things down. First of all, um, I believe that we are redeemed by Jesus' work. Amen? Amen. We're redeemed by his work. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says... We have been saved, uh, uh, we have been saved, uh, for you have been saved by, by, by his grace through faith. It's his finished work on the cross that we have been redeemed. It's nothing that we ourselves do that we, so that we can boast, but we were saved and redeemed by Christ's work. That's the first foundational thing I want you to remember. The second thing that I want you to re- remember is that there is a judgment for all believers. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us from the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. If we're redeemed by his work, there will be a judgment seat for all, there there will be a judgment for all believers. And the third foundational thing that I want to lay down is that God will reward those who follow him. We're redeemed by his work. We're saved by his work. There will be a judgment for all believers, and God will reward those who follow him. In fact, we see in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're redeemed by his work. There will be a judgment for all believers, and God will reward those who follow him. That's kind of the foundation of this series, okay? Redeemed by his work, judgment, we will be rewarded. uh, There will be a reward for those who follow him. So a while ago, as I was going through scripture, I fell across some different crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. 
some different heavenly crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. There's actually five of them, but through this series, we only have time to go through three of them. There's five of them. Actually, next week, I'm going to be talking about the incorruptible crown. And the week after that, we're actually going to have um, Jeff Bonslar and Life Challenge here on the 28th. So I'm excited about that. And then we're starting a new series the following month. So I only have time to talk about three of them, but I encourage you to go to Scripture and look at the five different crowns that are mentioned throughout the New Testament, five heavenly crowns, five rewards that are mentioned for those who follow him. Crown comes uh, from the Greek word stephanos, which means a badge of honor. It means a prize. It means a symbol of honor, a badge of royalty. Um, it's, it, a lot of times it was spoken of in you know, ancient times, and it referred to a wreath or a garland of leaves that was placed on the victor's head when he won an athletic contest um, during the games. Um, and the crown itself, it's interesting, you think the crown during the games would maybe be made of something exciting, like made out of gold or silver, or maybe have diamonds, but actually back when, back in the day during the games, it was just simply made out of some leaves and some branches. And so nothing even very exciting, but it symbolized much. And so how many of you would like a heavenly crown? Raise your hand. None of you? Okay, a few of you. How many of you would like a heavenly crown? Amen. And so um, the crown of life is actually only mentioned twice in Scripture. It's mentioned once in Revelations chapter 2, and it's mentioned once in James chapter 1, the crown of life heavenly crown. And to give you some context to the crown of life, we're actually going to go, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. It says this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you guys want to be mature and complete? Amen. Praise the Lord. Mature and complete. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask a God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded unstable in all that he does. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. What a prophetic word, huh? The rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Here we go in verse number 12 the verse that we've all been waiting for. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love God, I just pray that you open up people's hearts this morning. I pray for fertile soil and fertile ground, Father. 
God, I just thank you for your promises that we can read about in Scripture. I thank you that we um, have a hope and that we have um, a joy and that we have things that we can look forward to in heaven. God, I thank you that um, this isn't the be- but uh, this isn't the end, but this is just the beginning, God. And I thank you that you um, have promised rewards to those who love you. And God, we just give you the glory and we give you the praise. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Many scholars believe that the book of James was the oldest written book in the New Testament. Written possibly as early as maybe 40, 45 AD. Um, James was writing a church that had been facing hardships. He's writing a church that had been facing persecutions. They've been facing trials. They've been facing tribulations. If you read the book of Acts, you can kind of see the slow and then quick persecution of the church. Um, You can see it breaking out kind of quickly. In fact, um, really, it started with the the martyrdom of, of Stephen. And after that, persecution broke out immensely against the church. So Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin, and uh, he gave, actually, if you read in Acts chapter 7, he gave this amazing uh, speech to them that really kind of goes from the beginning of the, all the way through, from the beginning of, all the way through, the, and, and, and speaks of Jesus and Jesus's work. And they did not like what they heard, and they began to stone Stephen. And as they were stoning him, it says that he saw, he saw heaven opened. And he saw the Lord, which is pretty awesome when you, when you think about the, the glory of what was happening with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And there, there was a man there who was um, giving approval to his death named Saul. And he was watching the cloaks as the cloaks of these people as they were stoning Stephen. Well, Stephen was just kind of the, 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 the tipping point. And you can see if you move into Acts chapter 8, if you turn in your Bibles, you can look there. It says, on that day, so on the day of Stephen's uh, death, a great persecution broke out, uh, broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to ha- house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So there was this, again, there was like this tipping point in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 7, we see these things happening. Uh, Stephen uh, gets murdered, and then in Acts chapter 8, suddenly this guy named Saul, who eventually got converted, turned into Paul, uh, was persecuting the church, and he's going from house to house and dragging off men and women who followed Christ, and he was putting them in prison. Not a very nice guy, right? But the church was facing persecution, and they were, they were facing persecution from a couple different spots. First of all, they were facing persecution from the Jews. Uh, the Jews did not like the teachings of Jesus. They saw his followers as a threat, and so the Jews wanted it to stop, so they were facing persecution from the Jews. They were also facing persecution from the Romans, because uh, here were these people that were saying that Jesus was Lord, that wasn't saying that, and they weren't saying that Caesar was Lord, so there was this conflict not only with the Jews, but there was also this conflict with the Romans, and the church was scattered, and the church was getting persecuted, and they were getting taken from their homes, and getting hauled off from their homes, and getting put in prison. You see all these things that are happening, and all this destruction that's happening and people being uh, dragged off and persecuted and killed. And ironically enough, 
um, it, this was also a time where the church flourished like never before. And so I guess I kind of want to encourage you too, kind of as a side note that um, even when things might not seem like it seems like things are going crazy, maybe with our nation or crazy, you know, things are going all over the place. Uh, in adversity, the church thrives, you know, in adversity, the church thrives. And so um, here James is, and he's writing this letter to these people that had been scattered. And he was writing this letter to these people that were hiding and these people that were um, afraid for their lives. He was writing this letter to these people that uh, were, were, were maybe scared and these people that were living uh, just, just, just nervous about what was going to happen day after day. They weren't sure if, you know, if someone was going to turn them in or they weren't sure what was going to happen. And so he's writing this letter to them. And he's first of all trying to give them encouragement. Trying to give them encouragement. But then second of all, he's trying to give them a heavenly perspective. He's giving them encouragement, and he's giving them a heavenly perspective. He's writing to them. I mean, how many of you feel like um, you've been through some trials? Um, how many of you feel like maybe you've faced some persecution? Um, how many feel like you've, like you've been in a test? Anyone else? Like you're, it's like you're going through a test. Um, I, I kind of feel like in, in some ways this last year was a huge trial. People losing their jobs, people losing their loved ones, people locking themselves in their home, people being divided over racial issues and social issues, people being uh, unable to see their loved ones, people going crazy on social media, people just simply going crazy. Like the whole, this whole 2020 was a year, I feel like a year of testing, trials, persecution. It's interesting because when you look at the Greek word for trial that's mentioned here in this passage, whenever you face trials in verse um, 2 of many kinds, the, the, the Greek word is actually perasmus. Can you look at your neighbor and say perasmus? Perasmus. And, you know, I, 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 I guess kind of when I, when I see trials and I think of the circumstances of what was happening in the church, so they were facing physical threats, right? Like there was this guy named Paul who was coming in and dragging them off and hauling them to prison. They, they, uh, they would potentially be beaten, flogged, put to death. So physical trials. I, I guess when I, I see trials there, I think of like physical pain. But it's interesting because that word there, perasmus, look to your neighbor and say perasmus, is actually also the word that is, com the Greek word that is commonly used for temptation, for tempted, or tempt. So I think, like when you read it, of course he's talking about physical pain, but he's also talking about things that challenge your faith. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. So that could be physical pain, but also he's talking about things that challenge your faith. Has your faith been tested this last year? Has your faith been tested in the last day? Mine has. My wife's been gone over the weekend. And my kids have been crazy. My faith's been tested, okay? It's time to go to bed. It's only 2 o'clock in the morning, Dad. It's like, it's time to go to bed. My faith's been tested. 
Has your faith been tested in the last day? Has your faith been tested in the last week? It's been tested in the last couple weeks. It's been tested in the last month. It's been tested in the last year. It's interesting because he's writing this church and he's talking to them about their trials, their pain, their physical pain, but he's also talking about the testing, the challenging of their faith. And in the middle of this crazy time where the church is being persecuted and being dragged off, he says to them in verse 2, consider it pure joy. Seems weird. Consider it pure joy when you're going to go into pain. Consider it pure joy when, when your faith is going to be challenged. So I didn't believe it, so I actually looked up a couple other translations, and it didn't help me out at all. Um, another translation said, consider it an opportunity for great joy. The King James says, consider it all joy. The crazy passion translation says this. It says, my fellow believers... When it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an, as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Like, that's insane. Who says that? My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. So why should I consider it pure joy. Why should I consider it an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can? Why should I consider it, in verse 12, it says, blessed. Why should I consider it blessed to face trials, to face a moment of challenging your faith? Why should I consider it blessed? This crazy man, James, actually gives us the answer in the text. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Why consider it pure joy? Why call it blessed? You can write this down. Trials produce perseverance. I don't see anyone writing. Write it down. I want you to write it down. Etch it in stone. Trials. I still don't see anyone writing, okay? Trials produce perseverance. Look at it closer in verse, in verse 1 and 2. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And look in verse 12. It says, blessed is the, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Trials produce perseverance. Perseverance means persistence. It means insistence. It means tenacity. It means stubbornness. It means tenaciousness. Trials produce perseverance. And I would argue that, that trials, through perseverance, reveals the condition of someone's heart. If you really want to know what a person is like on the inside, examine how they handle trials. Examine how they persevere through trials. Trials reveal someone's heart. And God wants us to be people that persevere. God wants us to be people that are overcomers. He wants us to be people that 
that, that pursue the prize. You know, one of the things that I love about running is that running is completely transparent. You know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, we did a, a color run a couple of years ago on the 4th of July, and it was like 100 degrees out, and I ran with one of my friends, and he was telling me that he was, a, he was an avid runner. He said that he ran a lot. And so we went out, and it was a 5K that we ran. And it was interesting. It's transparent because when you go out and you run, they're, they're, they're the, like, it, it's, it's like you and your training, right? And so if someone hasn't put in the training or if they haven't put in the work, you can del- tell very quickly that they are not a runner. And so at the very beginning, he was excited, and he was jumping around. They had, like, a, a fire hose that was spraying. He was jumping through it. And, uh, but after, like, the first mile, he was craw- practically crawling because of the heat. And you, I, I, the thing that I, I like about, uh, again, I like about running is that it's, it's transparent. And I feel like trials really show someone's heart. The thing is, we don't, we don't persevere for, for nothing, do we? I mean, we, we persevere with a, with a purpose in mind. Amen? I heard that the Nazis, what they used to do in the concentration camps, um, this is a, probably a terrible illustration, but what the Nazis used to do <laughs> in the concentration camps is they would, um, they would have a huge pile of rocks and rubble they, that, they, that they would have on one end of the camp. And so they would, they would, they would tell the people in the concentration camp, they tell the prisoners, um, we want you to go... We want you to pick up these rocks. We want you to move it to the other side of the concentration camp. So, so the people in the concentration camps would come and they'd pick up the rocks, and they'd carry them over all the way to the other side of the uh, all the way over to the other side of the concentration camp, and they'd drop it. And then they'd walk back over, and they'd they'd go back over to the other side of the concentration camp, and they'd pick up the rocks, and they'd come back over here, and they would drop it again. And then they'd go back over, and they there was huge pieces of rock and rubble, and they'd pick it up and they'd bring it back over, and it'd take them days to move the rubble from one spot to the other, and they'd just keep on going and moving, and it was just like back-breaking work. Can you imagine that just over and over and over and over again? And finally, after days of moving the rubble from one side of the camp to the other, once they finally finished it, once they went and they picked up their very last piece of rubble on the one side of the camp and brought it over, and they put it on the, on the other side of the camp, they walked all over, put it on the other side of the camp. Once they finished, the Nazis would say, now what we want you to do we want you to pick up the rubble on this side of the camp and bring it back over to this side of the camp. And they said that these prisoners would go insane because they were people that did not have a purpose. And I guess I want to encourage you today that if you're going through trials or if you're going through persecution, if you're going through testing of your faith, or you maybe you feel like your faith has been challenged in the last day, in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, in the last two years, like maybe crazy stuff has happened to you during this last year, I want to encourage you that we persevere with, with heaven in mind. Amen? We persevere with the Lord in mind. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says that we glory in our sufferings because we know that perseverance uh, produces character and character produces hope. We strive for the prize in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so when we have trials and we have hardships and we have persecutions, we, we can keep, again, James is writing them and he's encouraging them, but he's also pointing to them, he's pointing them to heaven saying, listen, there is a God who is sitting on the throne. Amen? He's, he's sitting there and he sees you. He knows what you're going through. And there is a crown of life that is waiting for you at the end if you're able to persevere. Trials produce perseverance. 
Trials also, if you're taking notes, trials also produce wisdom. Trials produce wisdom. Take a look at it in verse 4. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And I guess I'd be nervous to ask God for wisdom if I know that it's going to take me through a trial. But if any of you <laughs> lacks wisdom, hey, if just in case any of you guys aren't suffering, um, you should ask God, and he'll give it to you generously, right? Um, <laughs> but let perseverance finish. I shouldn't joke about that. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's interesting. It's like, it's like when you've been in a challenge, a faith challenge, when you've been in a trial, when you've been in a testing, when you've been in a valley, you have a different perspective of the valley, don't you? When you have endured the hardship of the descent and the hardship of the ascent and the sweat and the blood and the tears, you, you have a different perspective of the valley. I wish it weren't so, but we are experi experiential beings. We have to experience things to grow and to learn and to develop. Trials produce wisdom. Sometimes we have to go into the valley to get the perspective of the valley. My day job, so I, I, I obviously I pastor this church, but I also work at a bank. And I have been um, in training for management, which is exciting. No one's even excited for me. Okay, whatever. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm very excited and very skilled at my job. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm, a, a, um, I'm in training to be management, which I'm very excited about. And so, anyways, they've been giving me these new hires, which I've been having a lot of fun with. And so I've been messing with them. So they come in, and I'm like, all right, so the first thing in the morning, we have to go out and salute the flag. There's a flag out. So, so they all go out there, and we, we salute the flag. And the manager walks by. She's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, I got it taken care of. So, so like we do silly stuff like I do silly stuff like that, and so um, uh, another another person, I'm like, hey, listen, uh, you need to get some files. The files are down in the basement, and they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, I, I need you to get those quick, and they're like, okay. And so they they start running around, and there's no basement in the branch, so they're like looking all over the place with the bricks. <laughs> it's terrible, I know, but um, <laughs> so but it's funny. So I've been at the bank for a long time, and so I've seen a lot of things, and I, I see a lot of uh, uh, troubled situations. I mean, anytime you work with people's money, people get upset and, and people get, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? People get upset. They're like, oh, I thought I had a 3% and why did my payment go up? And, and so people get upset about this kind of stuff. And so um, being at the bank for a long time, um, I know a lot of the answers to the questions. I've been at the bank for like 10 years now. So a lot of, I know a lot of answers to the questions, but when there's someone new, they don't know any of the answers. So, but, you know, I'm like, oh, yes, uh, why don't you go in there and help Mr. Uh, Smith, you know? And, but I know it's going to be a difficult situation, so I just kind of put him in there and shut the door. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a terrible boss someday. But um, <laughs> so, 
But I say that to say there's, there's a point of life where um, it's, I feel like adversity can be the best teacher. And, um, and, and, and sometimes I remember I, I was going through uh, some hard time, a hard time uh, several years ago, and I knew the Lord was trying to teach me something to it, but I just didn't know why. I just felt like a failure. And um, I went out and I bought a book called Failing Forward by John Maxwell. And it kind of opened up my eyes to the idea of, you know, failing is an opportunity to learn and grow and develop. And your testing is an opportunity for you to develop your wisdom. And your trials are an opportunity for you to develop your wisdom. And going out and saluting a flag with some crazy guy is an opportunity for you to, <laughs> to develop your wisdom. And, and looking for the, the basement at the branch is an opportunity for you to develop. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, there's opportunities for you to learn and grow. And um, trials produce wisdom. Lastly, trials produced humility. Check it out. In James chapter 1, verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, it blossom, it, it, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same right way, the rich will fade even uh, while they go about their business. Man, testing reveals what really matters. Testing reveals humility. You know, life is fleeting. In fact, in, later in James, it says that life is but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I, like, I feel like we take pride in our work and in our accomplishments. We take pride in our wealth. We take pride in our stimulus money that's coming. Did anyone get their stimulus? No, anyone? Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, I'm going to buy an electric bike, yeah. Um, so we, we get excited about we build our wealth, we build our, um, we construct the things that we think are important. But ultimately, the sun rises, the sun falls. The sun rises, the sun falls. Time passes, and things fade. James is writing this church, and he's, he's giving them encouragement, but he's also giving them a heavenly perspective, and the worship team can come back up. He's giving them a, a heavenly perspective. Well, things might be difficult now. You maybe feel like you've been going through a trial or a time of testing, a challenging of your, a challenging of your faith, but but there's something that lasts forever. There's a crown that you will receive if you persevere and endure. There's a moment, where you, where, there's a moment in time where, where you will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will look at you on that day and he will say, and he will say well done, thy good and faithful servant. Life is just a mist. It appears for a little while and vanishes. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been going through some challenges. You've been going through some faith challenges. Maybe you've been going through some pain challenges. Maybe you have a, a crazy, 
pretend manager who's been making you do all sorts of weird stuff. Maybe your kids have been rebellious. Maybe your spouse has been annoying. Maybe your work has been difficult. Maybe your finances have been a mess. Maybe, I don't know what it might be. But I think if, if we can read into the text and take James' words for us today, he would encourage us and he would try to give us a heavenly perspective. Trials produce perseverance. Trials produce, produce wisdom. Trials produce 